And Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. Ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And as we, and not into temptation, but for thine, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer I mentioned to you before uh, that Jesus takes the best of Jewish tradition and history and he crafts this altogether um, uh, different prayer, an establishment of his kingdom. And we've been, uh, the last uh, several weeks, we've been purposely following uh, the blueprint that Jesus lays out here. What I propose to you, and I have been saying it since the beginning of the year, is that all the Old Testament prophetic works is about helping us understand that God's dialogue with humanity is about kingdoms. All of Daniel is about kingdoms, right? You remember? The statue, uh, the beasts, the animals, everything in there, all the prophecies are about kingdoms. The kingdoms rise from upon the earth, but at last there will be one kingdom, not from earth, not made by human hands, but that will come and replace all kingdoms. And the king of kings, to whom belongs glory and power forever, will rule. Amen? And so it is our challenge and our opportunity to understand where we fit in the story. And I have been proposing to you uh, that God lays out for us a blueprint for understanding what roles we play in his words. And specifically in the image, the symbolism of the sanctuary. See, I'm convinced that for us, it may have lost some of its value over time. But I'm convinced that God gave us some very important blueprints to understand his relationship with us and what he is attempting to do when he said, build me a house so that I may dwell among you. Build me a sanctuary so that I can live with you. Because I'm convinced that God's desire at the heart of who God is, is his desire to be with us. He said it in the beginning. He says it in the middle. He actually comes and, and, and becomes human to, to symbolize and to show us how serious he is. And at the very end, you know this because it's one of the favorite chapters in all of the Bible. At the end of Revelation, the Bible says the new heaven and new earth and God will be our God and we will be his people. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. He wants to be with us from the beginning to the end. Amen? And yet we are in the waiting, in this season of anticipating. And we've been trying to discover what is our role in the, in, in the history of the, wor- of the world and, and specifically what is our present time role. At times in the past, uh, God used uh, the kingdom narrative to help people understand that they were ambassadors for his goodwill. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were, were God's ambassadors, God's chosen people. And they were supposed to be a city on a hill and broadcast to the world and draw others in. But in the New Testament, Jesus sort of changes tactics And he says there is a new covenant. And in this covenant, we don't wait for others to come to us. In this new covenant, he says, we go to them. You remember? Jesus says, and and you will be my witnesses. First here, then Samaria, and then further to the ends of the earth. And I will be with you. And Jesus is talking about kingdom building. This we know. It's called the gospel. So go ye. You guys know that, right? The, The great Christian gospel. Go ye therefore. 
and to all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, showing everything that I have commanded, and lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. It, it is our Christian commission. But we've had this for, for 2,000 years. And yet, there is a special role that we play in present time. And over the last several months, we've been trying to uncover that role and why God would give us time prophecies, markers, stamps of time to help us understand the changing nature of his relationship with us. That God wants to be with us is without question, but that we have a role to play, that's the thing that is somehow interesting to us. And in particular, I've been proposing to you uh, that it means that we as an Adventist people have a purpose. I call it on-purpose living. See, I think that many across the world today, we live in a, let's just be honest, we live in a life that's so busy, so hurried, that many of us are just trying to survive, right? The wheel of the week just keeps spinning. Before you know it, it's weeks, months, and years, and we're just struggling, hashtag struggling, right? The struggle is real. It's fascinating because in our youth, we never imagined this, but as adults, we, we just wake up and we feel like, I'm just trying to get by. Especially here. Can we be honest for a sec? Not if you agree with me. It's tough to be an American. We have everything we want, but somehow it doesn't seem like it's fulfilling. You, you, you agree with me? Feels like we just got to keep going. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. And as we look around, our friends, our neighbors, as we look around, our co-workers, all we see is the non-stop pacing of life. It's almost as if we're living on accident. That the things that we choose and the things that we do just sort of happen. And we're at the mercy of circumstance. But I want to tell you that we were not created to live that way. We were not simply an explosion of cells that somehow happened to evolve into life. We were not simply a, a, a mistake, an aberration uh, of the cosmic forces. We were created on purpose by a God who does everything on purpose. And even his patterns have purpose. Now, the Bible is full of that language. You've always heard it, right? All the way from the Psalms. All throughout that God loves you, that you were created, that he has plans and a purpose for you. The psalmist says, I was, I was carefully knit together in my mother's womb. And you've been hearing that. But somehow, as we live life, it's hard to decipher that because we get stuck in this constant rolling of existing. And yet God wants to reclaim for us on purpose living. And he does it through the patterns of the sanctuary. Now, I've been proposing to you, we've been discussing this, that God in the sanctuary reveals his intent to be with us, but he also provides a way for us to understand how we reconnect with him in two ways that are very important. The first one we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, when God invited the people day after day, he said, my justice, my righteousness demands perfection because I am holy. So when you break the rules, when you, uh, when you uh, desecrate things, you stand at risk from the garden. Remember? Don't do it. For the day you do it, you will surely die. You will be cut off from me because I can't. I must be righteous. God is 
righteousness. And, 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 and when we cross that line, God says, I can't just leave you on that side. So he provides in the sanctuary a way for us to come back and be forgiven. And I've been telling you, day after day, they would make an offering to God. And, and this offering was a symbolic, symbolic example of Jesus constantly saying, come unto me, all ye who labor. And, and you will find rest. It is what, what, the, what the New Testament says. He is faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins. In the sanctuary, in the outer courts, and in the first apartment, what we call the holy place, all of the symbols point to this constant invitation that God's grace is constantly inviting. Oh, but the second apartment, that is something different altogether. And to me, the most amazing part for you and me today. See, that God has wanted to forgive us is from the garden, from the very moment. Jesus says, I will go. I will make a way. There in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first turned their back on God, God said, there will be a plan of salvation. Genesis 3, verse 16. There will be a plan. I will find a way. And the Bible tells us, if you follow the chronology, that Jesus followed through on the plan. He came. That's what all of the sacrifices, that's what the cross means, that Jesus has opened up a door for us. And we can be forgiven each and every day. Amen? We can be forgiven at any moment. It's perpetually burning. His opportunity, his invitation is perpetually burning. But, but what's fascinating and what has been lost throughout these centuries is the idea that God doesn't end his relationship with us simply at forgiveness. As we've been discovering, Daniel tells us that for a time, this is what would take place, the daily this invitation, but there would come a time, 2,300 evening mornings, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to uh, unpack for you this, this most beautiful chapter, Leviticus 16, where God in the Old Testament shows us how he would cleanse the temple, how he would systematically, systematically, not just offer forgiveness, but create cleansing. And we talked about this last week. They would take once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would take blood. And rather than allowing this blood to bring sin in, in order to bring forgiveness, this blood would cleanse to take sin out and remove it completely. And at the end of chapter 16, which is what we read last week, God says, do this yearly for the forgiveness of sins and so that you may be cleansed of your sin. See, all throughout the daily sacrifices, God guarantees forgiveness. That's what the offering is. That's what the cross signifies. Forgiveness is there for the taking. But in the Day of Atonement, in the sanctuary, God says, I will do more. I will cleanse. I will transform. In fact, if you read it at the end of chapter 16, God says, you will be cleansed of all your sins. See, what God actually wants to do is what we've been praying about. That his kingdom would rule upon earth the same way that it rules on heaven. Amen? That's what we want, right? But if you follow the rest of the prayer, you will see that in order for that to happen, certain things have to change. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Now, let's just admit, that's not the way the kingdom works down here, right? A thing is a really short supply is forgiveness for one another. <clears throat> Uh, my wife and I were discussing this phenomenon <clears throat> that has uh, happened ever since the arrival of uh, social media and ability to post comments. Um, <clears throat> it's called, uh, what is it called, honey? 
It's called Outrage Pornography. Uh, it's a strange name, but basically people respond to stuff in the most uh, angry, <laughs> uh, non, uh, uh, in a very judgmental way. They just, and, and they somehow feed the energy off of that. They would never say that to you in person, but they, online. Because forgiveness, patience, you know, uh, letting things go, short supply. That's not how this kingdom works. But in his kingdom, that's how it works. Because God, who is rich in mercy, saw our transgressions. And rather than giving us what we deserve, he says, I will instead forgive you and cleanse you so that I remember your sins no more. And if you follow the rest of the prayer, if you follow the rest of the prayer, forgive us our debts, give us our daily bread. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, God's intention in cleansing the sanctuary is that he would have the same truth that reigns up there reign here. A sanctuary cleansed in a people of righteousness. Did you hear that? A sanctuary cleansed in a people of righteousness. The same way it is in heaven, God wants to do here. And that is what he's driving towards. We have an Adventism called us the investigative judgment. But I think it's a misunderstood word, a misunderstood name. I think instead, God wants to help us to understand that it's a transformative judgment. That God's justice will eventually be proved correct. But it will be proved correct in the way it transforms us. That's what the cherubim of there above the ark as we've been discussing. See, before the cosmic world, the accusations have been made. Satan says God cannot be followed. Being an Adventist is a losing proposition. Uh, nothing good will come of it. And the angels represent the cosmic world's watching. In our opportunity, since 1844, as Jesus symbolically enters the heavenly sanctuary, is to be the first fruits of evidence that God's mercy can change lives. Don't you think that's awesome? It is not in order to receive forgiveness because that is constantly available. That already happens. That happens in the beginning. It is in order to live out forgiveness, on-purpose living. And so everything that God has given us uniquely as Adventists, and we've had this amazing wisdom uniquely as Adventists, is to be first fruits in the way God transforms the lives of people. So think about it for a second. I know that over the last 150 years, we've sort of lost the understanding of all the things that make us uniquely Adventists. But you know what the Bible says? I'm going to read it real quick to you in Hebrews. Uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, the Bible tells us, Paul says, just like we used to see the sanctuary on earth, he says there is a heavenly sanctuary. And the very same patterns that are being followed here are being followed there. And he says, therefore, uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 19, I'll read it to you quickly. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... Through Jesus Christ, we enter by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is Jesus himself. And since in him we have a, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled just like they did in the Old Testament to cleanse us from our guilty conscience, having our bodies washed, read that, cleansed, transformed. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, look at this, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. 
Let's not give up meeting together, but instead let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what God is trying to do is to help us understand that our job in present time is to prepare for his arrival. Is to begin to let his kingdom rule upon the earth. If you read all of Revelation, that is what it says. God says, I have reserved for myself a remnant of people who will not bow their knee or bow their, bend the knee or bow their heads to anyone but me, who keep the commandments of God and have the patience of the saints and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God's kingdom will eventually rule here, but will we be a part of it? God wants us to begin to live that way now. And as we embrace these things that God has given us, as we spur one another to good deeds, what we do, what we do is not to deserve forgiveness, but because we have received forgiveness. And what we do instead is we give evidence to the transforming power of the Almighty God. We give evidence to the fact that if we follow Him, things can get better. They may not get perfect. The all of sin will not be eradicated until the very end. But there must be some evidence that God is making a change. That's why rooted in our community matters. Right, Marty? Because I can say I once was, but now I am. Listen, everything that you've read, every song that we sing talks about this. Amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound. I was blind, but now I see. I don't understand everything. I don't really know all the details. I'm not exactly sure what, what God will say and how will do it. But this I know. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was aimless, but now I have a purpose. The choices that I make are because I am a son, not in order to gain his approval, but because I have it. Because I know that he loves me. Because I know that every day his forgiveness is available to me. So I don't have to live the way I used to live. I don't have to grovel myself back to God. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Because he loves me, he will help me do better, be better. So his kingdom will rule on earth. See, there is two ways we hallow God. One, by witnessing his marvelous acts and saying, you're amazing, God. And two, the Bible says, when we do things in God's honor, other people will see it and say, praise God. That's what we're here to do. That's what we are Adventists here to do, to do things to bring glory and honor to God. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, listen, you've heard it all your life, do it for the glory of God. Every act, every moment, every choice is an opportunity not to earn forgiveness, but to receive it and to allow it to be multiplied to the world. That's why Paul says, so let us encourage one another. Let us nudge each other towards good choices and good decisions. Let us embrace the special gifts we have received as Adventists the rest of this day. Friends, the beauty of the Sabbath holy hours of being in the presence of God, of trusting Him only, the wonderful, wonderful uh, information God has given us as to how to be healthier and more stable Mind, body, and spirit. We are so fortunate. So fortunate. We don't do it to receive forgiveness. We already have forgiveness. We do it to give evidence to the cosmic world that God is a good God. 
Amen? That God is merciful, that He is kind, and that He changes lives. I don't know everything, but this I know. I once was blind, but now I see. I encourage you. I encourage you. Draw closer to one another. Let us spur one another. Draw closer to each other. And in God's word and in his teaching and in our very own Adventist things, let us find the grace necessary to not just live by accident, but to live on purpose, to, to, to make a difference in this kingdom so that his kingdom may rule here as it does in heaven. Shall we stand and sing a closing song?